Welcome to Pro Corner with Austin Serhoff. My guest this week is the founder of Fike Swim and a fellow Texas swimming and diving alum, James Fike. I wanted to have James on this week for two reasons. Um, and both had to do with him being a little bit of a disruptor and more importantly, someone who has a lot of intentionality behind his thinking. So reason number one is what he's doing on the business side of swimming with his company that he founded and is the CEO of uh, Fike Swim. And number two is because he's still swimming at age 39 and is still going best times at age 39. And even more than we discussed in the episode, um, we were talking about best times he was going last year. He also has gone best times since we recorded this episode over the last two weekends at meets that he's gone to. So he's still crushing it. The information is still current that, yes, James is still getting faster. Um, but on the business side first, I like what Fike Swim's doing because they truly, and by they, I mean James, because it's basically a one-man shop in a lot of ways, and he discusses that in the episode. But Fike Swim truly channels the motto that they have of swim different through the products and through how they carry themselves with the athletes that they sponsor. So to use an example, the flagship product is a kickboard called the brick and it's called the brick because it's weighted now. Okay. Why, why is that cool? You know, just add a little bit of weight and to your kicking. Okay. Well, the intentionality behind it, the extra bit of thinking behind it, which James details is honestly really cool to me. Kickboards are taken for granted. You can just grab one out of the bin and when your kick set pops up, you know, throw your goggles off, talk to your buddy next to you while you're kicking uh, face out of the water. And, you know, you don't really think much about it. It's just more brainless swimming, more yardage. And James saw that and he thought, you know, I can I think I can get a little bit more out of kick sets. So he puts a brick on his kickboard and it worked. You know, he had to think more about his kicking. He had to think more about his body position in the water. And on top of that, it's also better for the shoulders. And we talk more about that in the episode about how the buoyancy, the kickboard stuff on shoulders. I don't know as much about that stuff. But the point is, he saw it as an opportunity to get more out of his own training by improving something that's already taken for granted. Okay. He also does that with Fike Swim sponsored athletes, uh, people like the LA Currents, uh, Ali Tetzloff, and uh, Energy Standards, Maddie Bannock. And the signature suits from start to finish are a very cool process, which we detail in the episode, but it's very collaborative. Um, each of the sponsored athletes gets in a room with him and with a couple other people, and they talk about what what do you care about? What do you want represented on a piece of clothing that represents you, right? So for Allie, cactuses are super important to her. And there's a deeper meaning that you can check out on the Fike Swim website and read about. And for Maddie, she really likes intense things. She likes black and gold, and it kind of looks like this streak of lightning across the suit. And so on top of that, any time that the suit sells, they get 20% of the sales. So not only do these sponsored swimmers have something that's the closest thing I've seen in swimming to their own signature basketball shoe, like a Michael Jordan or a LeBron James, but they also have direct equity in putting money in their pocket when the suit sells. I think that's super cool. So that's the business side. On the swimming side, James is someone who, like me, went to Texas 
and who, like me, is still trying to get faster deep into their swimming career. So I look at James, he's 39, I'm now 30, as someone who's, you know, maybe a decade ahead of where I'm at in terms of the knowledge he's acquired for himself about how to approach the sport and how to continue improving. Not a lot of people keep getting faster at 39. So we talk in the episode about the sacrifices he makes to be able to run a company and keep getting faster and his nutritional choices. He was someone who ate, you know, like your classic, typical <laughs> clown swimmer in college, like myself, like myself, I say clown endearingly, um, where he would just shovel as much in his mouth as he could because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Keep your calories up, right? He'd make really important changes on the nutritional side. He talks about how he really got to know his own body and adapt the pool training and also the training outside of the water accordingly. And then also lastly, I think this is the most important part. He adapted how he mentally approaches training. So we touch on in the episode that when he was at Texas, he was always fighting to go harder, to work harder, because he felt like he had to earn a spot on the team. He was not one of the faster guys on the team. And that caused him to just be working hard all the time and never really catch up and th focus on technique or giving his body rest every once in a while, which is equally important to working hard. It's two sides of a coin. And now that he doesn't have anything to prove to a team, it's only what he wants to prove to himself. He can take a step back whenever he wants and say, all right, I don't need to do this today. Okay, I want to do this today right? Uh, we talked last week about how Jason Lezak was able to make similar decisions in coaching himself in his own training. I make those decisions myself when I'm training. I don't have to do, you know, sets for 400 IMers anymore where it's like, all right, well, go, go work hard, right? I choose what I'm doing. And James chooses what he's doing. And it comes from, you know, getting to know himself for the last 17 years since he was done college. So, I wanted to learn from his expertise. I think you all are going to learn from his own expertise, both on the business side of things and in the swimming side of things. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear what he has to say today. Before we get to the conversation with James, Pro Corner has a Patreon page. If you are someone who is enjoying the content and is finding ways to learn from these amazing professionals in sport uh, in ways that help you get an edge in your own life, and want to get even more of an edge and want to learn even more amazing stuff from these amazing people, head to patreon.com slash pro corner to subscribe today. Uh, you'll get access to things like bonus videos with my guests, um, training videos from myself and an expanding list of other athletes that I'm collaborating with, uh, access to a monthly newsletter, uh, giving updates about the episode and about various other things in the industry. And I think, you know, if this is what you're into and you believe in the mission of Pro Corner, you're also supporting Pro Corner. You're also contributing to helping Pro Corner expand and improve what we're doing. So if you're into any of that or all of it, head to patreon.com slash Pro Corner and subscribe today. And now on to James Fike.
I'm here with James Fike, founder of Fike Swim and a fellow Texas swimming alum. Hello, fellow Longhorn. Um, James, how's it going today, man? Uh, in uh, sunny California in front of the Golden Gate Bridge, it's <laughs> uh, looking great. We had, we had, for people who are wondering about the fun backdrop, we had a couple, couple technical hiccups, but we really wanted to get this podcast down. So we decided just to get it going. And also apparently James is just a big fan of the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, great. It's great <laughs> architecture. <laughs> well, it was either this or all my kids artwork that's actually behind me right now. So I'm sure, I'm sure that's more beautiful than the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> So James, just to get us started, can you kind of take me through um, your day-to-day -day life as someone who is in the business of swimming and basically lives and breathes it right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, so every second of my day has something to do with swimming. Um, I am a, a husband to a former swimmer and a father of three swimmers um, who I coach. And uh, I sit on the board of a nonprofit that tries to end drownings. Uh, I'm the president of that. And of course, I own Fike Swim. Uh, I also own a swim school uh, through which my kids train. And <laughs> I'm sort of a pro swimmer myself. So at some point in the day, I'm dealing with something that has something to do with, with swimming. Mm -hmm. And I want to focus mainly today on um, on the fight swim aspect of that and on your pro swimming, because a big a big part of why I want to talk to you is twofold. Number one, I got just got to talk to one of your athletes, Ali Tetzloff, and yeah. she, she really enjoys what you guys have going on there. It seems like you guys are constantly changing um, your approach and constantly adapting to what's going on in the swimming world to make fight swim more and more competitive. And then also a swim swim article that I read, I think about a year and a half ago now, where you have an approach to your training that, um, that I personally really enjoy and something that I've comported into my own training as well. Uh, just this idea that, as you put it before we started recording the conversation, it's a more holistic approach to training instead of... Um, you know, well, I guess I'll let you take you take people through that. So before we get into Fike Swim and take everybody back to the beginning, um, could you just kind of take us through what you do for your own swimming training right now? And you, the, I guess the thesis for what you're trying to accomplish with it? Um, yeah, it's been rough with COVID lately. Um, that really threw a curveball into things. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm definitely still out of my routine pre-COVID because I'm at a different pool that is um, not as ideal as, as you'd like, but, um, but I'm mostly back to normal now. And so what normal for me means is uh, I'm in the water uh, about six days a week, but I'm only putting in a total of maybe 15,000 yards. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm in the weight room three to four times a week. And it's kind of a mixed bag of of traditional lifting, like say bench press um, and, and uh, squats, but uh, also uh, plyometric stuff, working on my vertical and my reaction speed and mm -hmm. making it a little bit more, making my swimming a little bit more athletic. Um, and I think you're seeing a move in the swimming community towards the incorporation of a little bit more athleticism into the sport, where it's mm -hmm. not just get in and swim as many yards as you can, 
and maybe throw in like some push-ups and some pull-ups and stuff like that. But it's it's looking at the whole picture and and how do we improve you know distance off the walls and reaction time and and strength and all those things. So mm-hmm. uh, these days I'm putting in almost as much time in the weight room as I put in in the pool, which is a complete flip uh, uh, from college because in college I mean as you know the most of what we did at Texas was in the water and mm-hmm. there was three days of lifting. Um, <laughs> I will, I'll be the first to admit I did not uh, take it maybe as seriously as I should have because my mind was on six square. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I typically banged out the weight room stuff in like 40 minutes. And, and so I could get to the, <laughs> to the pool to, to play six square um mm-hmm. and these days i'm looking at more like an hour 20 an hour 30 in the weight room mm-hmm. um and i've gotten a ton stronger it it's kind of crazy so far that's paid off i will see if it continues to do so because so. you've been you've been hitting prs for yourself um and just to refresh everyone you are 37 38 years old right now i wish 39 39 gotcha Okay. And every year counts. And as someone myself who is trying out new things in the water and wants to, I'm 29 turning 30 in a couple of weeks and want to keep continuing to get better as I go. Um, it's a really cool template to set for people like myself that want to do something a little different. And also like you swim, but also have a full life that you can contribute to a family with and provide for a family with around it, yeah. which, which you do. Um, before we move on to fight what fike swims up to right now, I think we need to take an aside to talk about six square. <laughs> Cause I think <laughs> I know genuinely, I think what people need to understand, it sums up something amazing about Texas that you and I got to cover before the interview started, which is we're exactly a decade apart with what we did at Texas, but we are probably about to level with each other about six square in a way that like we might as well have been on the deck together playing it so i have a question for you (laughs) would you first would you say you were one of the better six square players on the team (laughs) okay anybody who tells you differently is lying i was the best six square player on deck okay Um, and then and then were there like who would were there other swimmers on the team that would say, actually, no, James is lying. Um, actually, I was the best one out there. <laughs> well, everyone would say I was lying. But I mean, the fact is, I was the best. But, um, you know, that was before that was before uh, phones could could video it and get proof of it. But true. Um, no, I mean, I was in the King Square more than anybody. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, it's just a fact. Um, and so you know, it was great being at Texas and having <laughs> my own claim to fame because you were with so many Olympians that sometimes it felt like you didn't belong, but at least on the six square court, I held my own. Mm-hmm. I, and two, two things to pull on from that. Number one, um, I felt like I improved throughout college to where I feel like I was the best on the team, at least my senior year at six square. And I have another six square related question after that. But number two is, that's a really important point, carving out a lane for yourself and finding a way to distinguish yourself on a team, especially in a situation like you were in where you had, you know, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, four or five Olympians on the team with you, whether they more were than that. more than that, if you yeah. include the pros that were there. Um, like for myself, 
you know, when I was in a group with Michael Phelps, I, I couldn't beat him ever in practice. Right. But it was cool every once in a while to maybe beat him in deadlift or out squat him or something <laughs> like that, you know, and that would be like, okay, I can check that box. I can at least do that. Right. Um, and then he would go back to smoking me in my best event because he was the world record holder in it. But, um, so would you say that you were someone that played best in the King square? Uh, what was your, what was your strategy? Were you someone that would just play defense or were you going in other people's squares and kind of doing that little tap kill shot? No, I, I, I like my, my favorite was the reverse tap um, where you're going into somebody's square and they have the right to push you out, but I yeah. had no, yeah. Like, but I mean, I, I would go into somebody's square and make them push me out. And if they were going to push me out, then I just do a reverse hit back towards them. And right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it was, I had King square, I think was the best first square sucked Cause you usually got picked on. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, easy a square to set up too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and everybody set me up cause they, they were afraid of me, but um, <laughs> You know, yeah, and and now I was really I was really excited to see that they've taken it up a notch, even from what it was, and set in permanent tiles on the deck. Oh, isn't that so beautiful <laughs> that they did that? Yeah, the the um the Eddie Reese and uh, Chris Kubik pool has official six square tiles on its deck. Just on top of everything that was accomplished getting that pool together to be open this year. We also know, now know that the legacy of Six Square will forever will forever be solidified. Yeah. My two strategies: number one, <clears throat> the kids on the team that could do that, and my roommate actually, his name was Cole Cragen. He yeah. was perfect at what he would do is he'd get in your square, get in front of you, and he would <laughs> let it get. If this is the ground, he would let it get here, and he would just tap it. Oh, that's yes. You I had no shot. And yeah. what my favorite thing to do if no one was in my square, I would hit it right back at the person that hit it to me so if someone hit it yeah. to me for like a kill shot and they had to go crazy and do some crazy acrobatics to get it put it right back in their square because yeah. the least likely person to be able to return it is the one that just played offense oh yeah no it's a physical game you, you've got to like really like push uh, and, and and be aggressive and if if anybody had even like a toe in their square i went for just the body shot you just would do the exploding them. body shot to get them out just, yeah just get them yeah. yeah. I think at the root of all that footwork is key in six square. You may be hitting the ball with your hands, but it's all footwork. So for you setting up, boxing people out, or for me seeing who has bad footwork, put it in their square when they're off balance. And then both <laughs> yeah. of us smacking it at someone who's maybe hanging out in their square and not paying attention. Right. Yeah. I, that's super cool that we got to vibe. Like literally, I feel like I'm back there right now. <laughs> and it sounds like we played a very similar style of game. Um, Moving on to more serious grown-up things, because we could do a whole podcast about six square strategy. <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about, people, I'm sure there's something on YouTube <laughs> explaining Texas swimming six square. Uh, let's move on to Fike Swim and what you've been up to with it lately, because it started with the brick kickboard, and we're going to get to that on the timeline of your career and how you've progressed. Um, what are the different avenues that Fike Swim is a part of right now, uh, specifically with athletes that are pros right now? Yeah, so the biggest thing we have going right now with our ambassadors is um, our signature suit lineup where um, they get uh, a stake uh, in the game. So mm -hmm. it's no longer like, okay, 
athlete, here is a suit that we want you to help us sell um, because it's new or because, you know, sales aren't as good as we hope for. So, Mm -hmm. you know, post about this suit, try to, you know, gin up some, some demand and sell it for us. Mm -hmm. Um, We want our, our athletes to be, uh, to be invested in it. And it it, it makes it a much more um, uh, involved two-way street process that way. Um, I, I have a soapbox about this, but sure, please. Um, I, I just feel like our, our athletes deserve so much more. Like swimmers are, especially professional swimmers, they represent the best uh, of the swimming community. And it, I, I want to do as much as I can for my athletes. Now, I'm not in the same boat as like Speedo and Tier, right? And so I can't offer them big contracts and such. But what one of the things that I can do is bring them into the process so that they don't feel like they're just on the outskirts being used to sell suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so our ambassadors they get twenty percent of whatever uh, their suit sells, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty big amount. I mean, twenty percent that that that's huge. Um, and it's it's something that we're really proud of. And how did those because these athletes, um, how many and how many athletes do you have on the flag swim roster? Is it pretty extensive? Well, it fluctuates. We're actually down to four right now. Um, we've been as high as I think eight or nine mm-hmm. at one point. Um, my goal has always been to to help as many uh, athletes as we can, and to try to allow them to use flag swim as a stepping stone to uh, bigger. I wouldn't say better things, but. Uh, to bigger things like hopefully getting contracts with Speedo and, and Tier. So Zane <clears throat> Grothy was one of our um, uh, biggest signs and he, he used Bike Swim uh, and of course his, uh, his own success for sure um, mm-hmm. to then move on to Dolphin. And mm-hmm. that's the idea with us is that we're not going to try and be possessive of you as an athlete we just want to help you keep moving up in the, in the swimming world until you decide that you're done. Uh, I talked to Allie about the signature suits on our podcast together. And I think it's, uh, unless I'm missing something, I've never seen it before. And I'm shocked that I haven't. So what were those meetings like where you guys sat down and maybe not necessarily Allie, since we got her perspective on it, but someone like, um, like Maddie Bannock, who you sat down with her, you had a meeting about, Hey, this is what we can do with your suits. And here's, and what kind of design do you want? Can you take me through maybe a meeting like that? And as much or as little as you want to reveal about that? Cause I think that the mechanics of that process is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, first of all, one of the other great things about uh, our ambassador crew is that they, they really hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, bike swim is is a one-man shop it's me um as far as you know dealing with all the back-end things and, and, and doing customers and that kind of thing uh and so with the ambassadors it's really great we're bringing them in because uh then i get more input and it's not just me talking to myself and basically going geez i don't know what do you think about this uh it's not such a great idea but what do you think about it mm-hmm. and 
And sometimes I feel like I'm going a little crazy that way. Yeah. But uh, having these meetings with the ambassadors has been so amazing. They are full of creativity. They're full of great ideas. They're, they're living and breathing, swimming even more than I am. Um, and they're surrounded by the people that Fike Swim is, is trying to, to work with and, mm-hmm. and sell our products to. Um, and, and so having them on board and giving their input, their feedback has been uh, invaluable. And so when we sit down with, with an ambassador to, to create a, a signature suit, um, partly it's about, okay, what do we think will sell? Because at the end of the day, like you can't just put a whole bunch of crap on like a swimsuit and, and expect that it's just going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than that, it's really about uh, expressing who the ambassador is. So for instance, with Matt, you said Maddie Bannock. Um, Maddie, we were looking at designs and the starting point is high level. Like, okay, do you like crazy stuff? Do you like bright colors? Do you like darker colors? Um, what's, your, what's your thing, right? And it's just, it, from there, it goes in a million different directions because, um, you know, Maddie, she, she wasn't into crazy stuff, um, yeah. silly stuff, funny stuff, you know, like some suits are. Sure, yeah. She was like, well, I'm not that way. I'm more of like a, a, a gold and, and black kind of serious kind of person. Hmm. And, and so we started going that route and looking at designs and, and we ended up with, with what we have. But the funny thing is um, I reached out to her, <laughs> I reach out to every customer to, to thank them personally for, for their purchase because it means a lot to me. And um, her mom uh, bought a suit and just for posterity, she was, cause she was like, this is my daughter. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's um, like, it's like Michael Jordan's mom having his shoe, right? <laughs> like seriously, right. that's the same yeah. kind of thing. Right. And I, I, so I reached out to her and, and I was like, you know, what do you think of it? And she wrote me back and, and said, Oh, you know, this, this suit is so mad. Um, and that, that's what we're going for. Like we want it to re- we want the people who know the ambassador to look at that and be like, yeah, yeah, that, that totally fits. Mm-hmm. Who they are. Um, so that's, that's kind of the process generally. Gotcha. That's so cool to me. Like, I mean, like I said, it's like a signature shoe in basketball that it's, you know, I love that unique take on basically everything about these suits, man. Like giving the athlete a piece of it and basically not only using Fike Swim as a stepping stone, but also kind of a canvas for them to paint on and make it into their own business themselves. Cause they sell these suits, they get a piece of it. They design the suit. They have a big stake in it, you know, not just the 20% return on the suits that you guys sell, but it's also their namesake and the right. a, a, a representation of themselves on those suits. Right. So it's a, it's a very equitable relationship, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. I mean, I, I really try to like when I, when I talk to potential ambassadors, what I'm always uh, quick to say is, look, this isn't just about bringing you on to build up the Fike Swim brand. Mm-hmm. Um, this is about growing both brands. Like I want you to grow your brand. And so you're more valuable, not just to maybe, you know, speed or tier or whoever, but any other company, because what we're seeing is more non-swimming companies jumping in to swimming mm-hmm. and sponsoring athletes. 
like with you know jacob pebley and the squatty potty yeah right? yeah you, you know <laughs> yeah yeah you know, stuff like that so it's not just about you know moving on from pike swim to to speed or whatever it's it's about building your brand so that uh, we we bring in uh make the swimming community itself bigger mm-hmm. that's that and that reflects like I, I love hearing that because one of the goals of this podcast, and it's at, at more of a beginning than where you're at, obviously, is to give people a platform to, for the average fan to understand the mechanics of swimming better. So building their brand for your company, you know, giving more understanding to the public through the podcast, like I'm really enjoying that all of these outlets for pro swimmers are popping up and yeah. you're someone, you are someone who's leading that sort of charge. Um, Speaking of beginnings, I want to take a step back for a sec and work our way back to, I think the important moment to start at with us is the moment that you decided to go to Texas, because it seems like a lot of what you learned there, both literally in school um, and also what you learned from the the great swimmers you were around and the training you did, that all kind of coalesced into what you've put together for yourself now today. So Take me through senior in high school, James Fike, deciding to go to Texas and what, what went into that decision and what that was like for you. <laughs> well, um, you know, I actually quit the sport um, uh, like eighth grade through sophomore year. Okay. And, and actually, my, my son was asking me this uh, yesterday. It, it's weird. Um, he's like, why'd you quit? You love it. And you know, I couldn't give him a good answer. Like, I don't know why I quit. Um, I, I just got into other sports, I guess. And then I came back to it. It, it called me back. Um, and I had a ton of success junior year, senior year, which as you know, Eddie is big on two things. Guys who are like Olymp- like Olympic level already and guys who nobody is really on their radar mm-hmm. and they have the potential to be that good one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I was one of those guys who I just showed some really good potential. Right. I was a six foot three scrawny, scrawny kid um, mm-hmm. who did really well in, in just a few months back in the pool. So right. I like that. You weren't necessarily at the level of like Brendan Hansen, but the no. delta but but the delta between who you were as a sophomore and who you were as a senior was what like that change yeah. and that improvement is what was enticing to him. Yeah. I got yeah. you. Okay. Yeah, and and we had a we had a few guys like that my my year. We, I mean, we had a, a couple of six foot eight guys who, especially one of them, he hadn't really done much uh, swimming. He was more of a basketball player, mm-hmm. um, and Eddie just saw potential. And sure enough, the guy Chris Kemp, uh, he turned out to be a freaking stud uh, who scored a ton of points at NCAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, you know that Eddie loves it. Um, he's big on he's big on his tall projects. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, back to your question, as as a senior, like I was weighing a few schools. I was weighing Texas. I was weighing Auburn because those were the big ones at the time. Auburn had won the championship the year before, mm-hmm. uh, and then there were a couple ones that I I figured were were more uh, sure bets for me, like you know, Ohio State and Maryland. Um, I didn't actually think that I might get into Texas or, or Auburn. And when I got offers from, from both, um, you know, 
I knew I wanted to go big. I didn't care about being the little fish in the big pond or anything like that. Like I, I wanted to go big. Um, and <laughs> if you're comparing Austin to Auburn, there, there's not. <laughs> yeah. Even, even back then when Austin is, you know, Austin's grown ten, and changed 10 times oh, over yeah. since you got to school. But even then yeah. it was still a very different town from Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> yeah. So the decision was easy. Uh, and then I went to Texas and I got real fast, real quick, um, because the training was way tougher than anything I'd even imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, first year I was so just beat down. <laughs> I didn't think, I didn't think I could make it three more years. Um, but then, you know, you adapt, right. And right. so I adjusted to it. Um, I, I dropped a ton of time, especially my sophomore year. Um, and, and in that time, the way I think of it is at Texas, I learned so much uh, about the, the sport of swimming itself and like enough to fill a book, I feel like. But really in the last few years, I've learned that much about myself mm. uh, and how I respond to training and different types of training. So I've gotten a lot more aware of, of what I need. Whereas back then I was just trying to like soak it up and keep up with everybody. Right. There was never really time to kind of reflect on what was best for you. Cause you were just trying to make your mark, do the training, do the best you can with it. And you weren't necessarily like questioning like that. And that is generally how expertise is put together is you lay the foundation for it. And then you get a little space and you start to question what you, what you know and what you don't know. And then that's when the, the serious expertise falls in. So you were laying these foundations when you were at Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what I, what I try to tell anybody who will, who will listen is that, you know, when you embark, especially like on college in, in into college and, and it's a, a new environment, you know, <clears throat> try not to get too caught up in in the rat race of like winning everything i mean when i went to texas i I just my mindset for me personally was like keep up win you know from warm up to warm down just bang your head against the wall and do everything you've got to do to prove that you're worthy of being there yeah and uh you know it was it was the wrong mindset to have In, in retrospect like i should have just tried to, to learn more instead of do more. Mm-hmm. I talked to um, someone who I think you guys, oh yeah, you guys would have been teammates was Aaron Pearsall. And yeah. he talked about in that way, and obviously he had carved a space out for himself that he could think this way by being a 2000 Olympic gold medalist. But he did talk about exactly what you're talking about, which is see the big picture, learn and have a growth mindset about everything. Is that, I guess that's kind of what you're getting at right now is you, you were seeing more like win every moment, be competitive in like the second to second granular level when now you're seeing things big picture and you just want to learn and grow. Right. Right. I, I mean, I, I just, um, I got, <laughs> I got too eager to take on too much. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Um, sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade anything for the world. It was a phenomenal experience. I, I appreciate every minute that I had there. Um, 
but yeah, you know, looking back, of course, I wish I'd done this differently or that differently, but I'm doing great now and, and I'm happy about it. So well, what was it about your time there? Was it, whether it was the the teammates you had because you had such a, a strong environment of great swimmers or something about your relationship with Ed, our coaches, Eddie or Chris, um, that kind of inspired that lifelong love for the sport. Like what, what, what would you trace it back to if you, if you had to? <laughs> well, as far as the love goes, that, that is just part of who I am. It's in my blood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will, I, I will never give up swimming. Um, <laughs> you'll probably, you might be, if you're still doing this 10, 20 years from now, you know, I might be back on your show explaining why I'm still training. Like I'm, I'm 20. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have to explain and, to people why I'm doing it at 29. So I imagine you have those conversations a lot too. <laughs> well, with my wife, especially. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise. Um, <laughs> and 29, what I have learned, if I had known what I know now at 29, I could have done so much like, mm-hmm. you, man, you still, you have the talent to at 29, like you've got even more potential now than you did four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, like if you've learned enough that you feel like you can get back into it and be even better, you should absolutely get back into it and like try for 2024 or 2021, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. Anyway, you were asking about my time there. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But I, I love that. And that's inspiring to me, just man to man, you saying that to me, but I hope people also listening, understand that whatever age you're at, you can always be better than what you were before. And you're not done improving with wherever you're at with whatever it is you want to do. Yeah, no, I mean, what we're clearly seeing in this sport is that we're conventional wisdom was wrong. We're not done at 24 years old or, you know, whatever the, whatever the number was that, that it used to be. Like, I mean, look at all the pros out there who are in their early 30s now who are killing it. I mean, you've still got a long road ahead of you. Um, I would, what I wouldn't give to be 29, anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like an, an old man now, um, lecturing yeah. the young, young gun. Um, but no, like, uh, you know, back in Texas, um, it was... Uh, I have to say the best part was my teammates. And I think a few of them watching that might go, really? Um, Because I came in as like a sheltered kid, only Mm -hmm. child. Um, I went to a teeny tiny all boys school, uh, high school that had like 20 guys in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and so I went there and immediately had 30 guys who acted like brothers do. And, you know, they, they find your weaknesses, your sensitivities, and they just keep poking and poking and poking. Mm-hmm. And I do owe them a lot for, for doing that to me. Like my freshman year, I thought I was going to lose it. Um, but it was really beneficial for getting me out of my shell and, and just really opening me up more. Um, so I do appreciate them very much for that. And, and I also appreciate like the mindset that we all had that I've carried through to, to my life, especially business life, um, which was like, you do whatever it takes to make it happen. Um, you swim through the wall, you break your hand if you gotta break your hand, 
um, it, it doesn't matter. Like you just do it. And like that has, I've fallen back on that resilience uh, so much in my life. And, and I owe a lot of that to my time in Texas. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a beautiful sentiment that, you know, 30 brothers, like I, you know, that's something I say all the time too, that like, it's not, they're not really teammates, they're brothers. And, you know, I got married recently. I'm, I'm sure you had a similar experience where, you know, all of the guys that were up there as groomsmen with me, minus two, which was my brother and my best friend were guys I went, I swam in Texas with, like, that's yeah. the sort of bonds that are forged in not just Texas, but any college swimming place where there's a healthy environment like that. Right. And it was, I was thinking about this, um, uh, the other day, like what we had at Texas I got to believe it was very unique um, uh, because when you look at, at how good we were at, and how good Texas is every year, um, there, it's so, I think it's so easy to, to give in to human nature, which is to like get very um, hubristic about it and, and full of yourself and egotistical and be like, yeah, we're Texas. We're going to, course we're going to win NCAs this year right um especially when you have like half the Olympic team on your team <laughs> um but Eddie as you know like I think it comes from the top down Eddie is very humble and like that humility trickles down and so even in our very best years where it was given that we were going to win NCAs like we never approached it that way in practice. Mm. I'm guessing it was the same for you guys where we had to earn it. Like it wasn't going to be given to us. Um, we had to come in every day and work our butts off. Um, and, and meanwhile, <laughs> you know, you, you look at, at other teams and I'm going to pick on Texas football right now for a little bit. Um, they would have t-shirts that would say, yes, we will. And it's like, yes, you will. What? you haven't earned it yet. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that mindset, both like extremely hardworking and extremely humble, um, both of those have been so helpful for me. I'm, I imagine you draw from that place now that you're in charge of your own company. And like you said, um, work with all these athletes that, you know, you're in this relationship with where you're guiding the ship but you also do it in a, in a humble way and in a way that's equitable in the relationship back and forth. I mean, I, I, I certainly try. That's always the goal. Um, mm -hmm. Bike swim has come a long ways uh, in five and a half years. It, it's sometimes I have to remind myself of that because mm -hmm. it's very difficult industry that, that I'm in. Um, I'm going up again. I keep saying speedo and tier, but like they're the big dominant players mm -hmm. and it's really easy sometimes to get down and be like, geez, you know, how long is it going to take before I start making a dent uh, on them and, and really moving up in, in the food chain. Right. And, but I have to remember, this was only started five and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and for us to be doing what we're doing right now is, is really special. And, and I would like to think that we have impacted the swimming world, not just with, you know, products and, and things like that, but it, it seems like there has been a shift with the athletes towards greater recognition, greater um, involvement of some of those, uh, some of those 
non some of those swimmers whose names don't start with Phelps or mm -hmm. you know end with Phelps or Dressel or Ledecky like you're starting to see more companies whether it's A3 or Dolphin or Finis or whoever pull in some of these athletes that they don't have they're not a household name um but certainly deserving of being sponsored athletes right sure yeah um and and I would like to think that that Fike Swim has had something to do with that because when you look back over the years and we always we very proudly post on Swim Swam that we have signed you know so and so um and sometimes that you get comments where it's like who is that um and it's like yeah exactly like this person is really great like you should know about this person um but because their name isn't Phelps or Dressel or Ledecky like you haven't mm -hmm. and and so we're trying to help change that do you I mean do you channel that from your own experience that well, seriously, that you had, you, I mean, you, you've told me you had a role at Texas yourself, even if people think of other <laughs> swimmers, do you feel like you are trying to carve out a role in the industry where it's like, Hey, these people are super important too. And they have a role. And you've already talked about, even though you're trying to compete with Speedo and tier, you also have a lane you've carved out entirely to yourself where it's like, like right now, my job I see is to grow people's brands and whether they use me as a stepping stone or not help people who are not quite of Phelps or Ledecky grow themselves up. So does that draw from like personal experience you've had, or do you think that that's just good business acumen, which I actually want to dig into in a little bit? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, I think there, there was a conscious decision that like other company, like in order for Fike Swim to compete with these behemoths like Speedo, um, just putting out a new suit isn't going to change anything. It's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. um, but where where are, are Speedo and Tier and them really not present? And up until recently, like they haven't been present in those those second tier pro athletes, mm -hmm. the the non celebrity, the non A listers, right? Um, and then yes, the other part of it too is like at Texas. I was, I was a nobody, right? Compared to everybody else, um, compared to the Brendan Hansons and the Ian Crockers and the Aaron Pearsalls and all those studs. Like I was just another guy and I tried to do my best to, to help the team and help those guys in practice and train hard and all, blah, 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 right? Um, but at the end of the day, I, I was under no uh, false impression that like I... <laughs> deserve to be there like I just felt grateful every day that I was mm -hmm. and and so again taking that humility uh into the the business setting it's like Fike Swim is no different than any of its ambassadors like we are going up against some pretty big names and it's great that we are helping each other out and that we have each other to help out um, because it's a tough, 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 it's a tough world in swimming. Yeah. And I want to start working our way towards that part where you maybe not, there wasn't a moment where you consciously decided to get into the business of swimming, um, but that you, you, you entered that world. Um, so just to catch people up, you were a finance major at Texas yeah. And then you also got an MBA from the Texas McCombs, uh, school of business. 
which um, most people should know this, but I think I got to dot every I and cross every T on this. Uh, McCombs is one, is the, a top 10 business school in the country. And so it set you up for a lot of avenues to take um, once you were done with swimming. So what was your first step on that journey? Um, Cause it wasn't an always just through the lens of swimming, even though you use it as a hobby. What were you yeah. doing for your first couple of years out of college when you were utilizing um, those degrees that you had from Texas and the experience that you had? Yeah. So, you know, coming out of college, I got really caught up in the idea that, all right, I'm in the rat race of the real world now and I've got to take it super seriously and start climbing the corporate ladder and, you know, go very traditional thinking, like just make my way up in the world. Mm-hmm. Um and so I started off, I wanted to do investment banking, but then I had, la- I, had, I had an investment banking offer in one hand and I had an offer from BP, British Petroleum, in the other. And uh, I, I decided to go with BP uh, for about a year and a half, and it was really fun. I, I got to negotiate crude oil contracts, which mm-hmm. uh, as, as a kid fresh out of college, that kind of responsibility was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a bit of a rush, like, cause you knew like you were making money, like in the moment, right. Um, for this giant corporation. Um, <clears throat> but I still had this nagging feeling that I wanted to do investment banking. Like I'm, I guess in every way I'm a glutton for punishment. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, swim the hardest set. I want to work the hardest job. <laughs> and so, yeah, of course I, I went, I went to, uh, to investment banking until that kind of burned me out as it does a lot of people, but invaluable experience because it's a way of thinking, a way of analyzing um, a a company that has been very helpful for me in the future or or since then. Um, And and so a few years in, um, I was still in investment banking and I was like, okay, I've gotten this out of my system, but I don't exactly know what I want the next step to be. And so like a lot of people, you go back to business school to, to, to have that thought and I think also to like relive some college, some college days a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went back, I uh, got my MBA and I was still thinking, okay, now I've got my, my MBA. I'm going to go back into the corporate world for some reason. Yeah. And I went, and I went to Dell and Dell is like investment banking light. If you're not familiar, like they work you hard and the people there are very smart. Um, it, you learn a lot but they work you like super hard. And so Mm. um, I was in that and then um, I got laid off Uh, at Dell layoffs are just kind of a a normal course of doing business. And uh, so during one of their layoffs, I got laid off. Um, And what, what year was this just to kind of put everybody on it with you? This was 2012. Okay. Um, uh, 2012, I got laid off. And at that point, I was totally disillusioned with with corporate. I was like, screw it. You know, I've uh, ever since I, I, I was a kid and, and going and buying candy at the 7-Eleven and bringing it to school and, and jacking up the price for my classmates, <laughs> like I, I have wanted to own my own business. And and so uh, I, I took the, the big step to start the Fort Worth Swim School. Um, because like, I know swimming inside and out kind of like you do. 
and and so it just made sense and and there wasn't a really developed market in Fort Worth despite it being a, a large metropolitan area that has almost a million people mm. um, it, it's a very uh, weak uh, market in terms of competition and so I was like okay perfect I'll, you know I'll start a swim school and we'll get the ball rolling that way mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, it seems like I'm I'm never satisfied with enough I just like to pile on more so um, I started bike swim what maybe so what are we playing like two years after starting the Fort Worth Swim School? And the way that got started, it's an interesting story. I love to tell it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, being a product of Eddie, Kick is King. And, uh, you know, I love kick sets. I'm always looking for ways to make them better. And so I was in practice uh, one day. I was on a kickboard and I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of boring. And I started looking around for how I could make it better, right? And, and I saw a brick, like an actual brick on the side of the pool. And so I got the brick and I put it on the kickboard and it turned out to be a really tough workout, um, trying to keep myself from sinking and move forward. Um, and so I started thinking, okay, this is great, but the one problem is the brick keeps trying to fall off the kickboard. So how do I get the brick into the kickboard? Mm. Um, and hence, so hence the name, the brick. Um, gotcha. And- Wait, was there ever a moment where you tried to do the egg in the hat kind of thing and like cut <laughs> all for a brick at the kickboard or did you just go right to the the brick the brick board <laughs> I, I i just went right i skipped right ahead i just gotcha ahead. okay gotcha keep going um, and and so uh like literally i think it was the next day i started looking into manufacturers who could make my idea a reality and and uh i didn't have cad software you know the computer animated design work that allows a manufacturer a factory to take your idea and actually produce it. Um, all I could do is scribble it on paper. Um, and anyway, I, I contacted a couple of US um, manufacturers because I really wanted to do the Made in America thing. Mm. Um, and the first one I contacted, they said, yeah, we can do this for you, but it's gonna cost you way more than if you go to China, you should go to China. And so I was still determined to do the Made in America thing. So I contacted another manufacturer. They said the exact same thing. Mm. And so I was like, all right, fine, fine. I'll go, I'll start checking out China. Um, and if, if you've ever read up on anything about doing business in China, it's, it's a really scary proposition because it's not like at all like the US. Aside from the whole cultural differences, speaking a different language it, it, and completely different time zone, um, the, the laws there are not set up to uh, be very helpful for Americans. And if you run into problems, you really have no recourse. Like, you're, ba- you're basically on an island by yourself trying yeah, to figure it out. Yeah, you can get totally screwed. And, and people, it, it happens all the time. People get screwed all the time. Before I started going that route, I, like, I did my due diligence as a good investment banker. I did my due diligence. And all I saw were horror stories. And it was like, oh yeah, you know, if you don't do X, Y, Z, A, well, really A through Z, you could totally get screwed. Um, and so I took what I learned from my research and I started going through Alibaba.com, which if you don't know Alibaba, it's mm-hmm. like the Amazon of China. Mm-hmm. Right. And they are grow, they are taking over, they are taking over the freaking world. Um, but anyway, uh, it, it's scary because anybody can create a profile on Alibaba, anybody, some right. fly, some fly by night, Chuckster 
um, over in China can create a profile that looks totally legit and they'll take a picture of their fact of their factory mm. uh, and their workers um, and you feel good about it. You're like, oh, okay, this is legit. And if you don't really dig hard enough, it, it, it can totally be a, a scam and you lose thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Uh, and so that was nerve wracking, but I, I contacted uh, a few factories to do samples for me and they sent those over. And from there, it just kind of took off. But um, I've been very lucky in my dealings with China. Um, I did get hosed one time um, and that didn't feel good, but you know, learned a good lesson. What was it something about, did you just have a bunch of product that didn't get made or what happened in that moment? <laughs> no, I just got straight scammed. Um, uh, ten, lost $10,000. Um, I did get most of it back. That's an interesting story. Um, but yeah, at first it was looking like I was going to lose the full 10 grand and hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it was, was, uh, a scammer in, uh, China had managed to send an email, I guess, ha- I guess, hack into my factory's email, uh, find our communications and basically uh, take over and and look as though the communications were coming from the factory and not from them. Oh, wow. And we were in the middle of doing a, a deal for, for more brick inventory to be sent. And, and so there was a, like the emails got a little weird, but not too suspiciously weird. Um, and so my broker wired over the money and then a couple days later, the, the real factory rep emailed and goes, we need your money now. We need to make this now. Oh. I'm like, dude, you got my money. What are you talking about? Oh, no. <laughs> and, you know, we, we thought about FBI and, and going uh, through the authorities in China. But honestly, if, if it's not, if you're not Apple and it's not millions and millions of dollars, it is pointless. So um, lesson learned, everything's been good since, but yeah, <laughs> fun story. That I mean, I think that's important for people to understand that even a, like getting a small manufacturing thing together to get a company started is rife with obstacles and potential pitfalls. Oh yeah, I mean this, <clears throat> yeah, there, there's so much, there's so many moving parts um, when you are, a product oriented company. And especially now, like, I mean, shoot, when we only had the brick, it was one product, right? Mm-hmm. Was, I mean, even there were, there were issues even with that. Um, now we have, uh, I don't even know how many products, how many SKUs we have. It's like 60 or 70. Um, right. And I want, I want to get into that about how you got to a point where you decided to diversify and make Fike Swim into more of an all compassing thing. Uh, to get us to that point, what was it about the brick that made it catch on? Was it just like from the get-go, people liked it? Were you hitting the pavement, going to different club teams? Were you calling people? Like, what was the, um, I guess, to use a Malcolm Gladwell term, what was the tipping point for the brick and for Fike Swim when you could actually start sustaining this thing? Um, it actually happened much sooner than I expected. Um Fortunately, I, I have not had to do the pound the pavement, 
go, you know, club team to club team around the country road tripping and, and showing it off. There was a little bit of that, like, for instance, when I went back to visit Austin, because we have friends back in Austin still. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went back there, like I would, I hit up Nitro and, and showed them the brick and, and they tried it out. And so there was a little bit of that. Um, but a lot of it was, was mostly online marketing and reaching out with uh, lots of emails because, man, I, um, for a while, I spent days just going, finding teams around the country, searching for coaches' emails and getting as many of those coaches on a team of their emails as I could and putting them into a distribution list. And it was hundreds. It took me forever. Um, and, and sending out these mailers like, Hey, check this out. It's, you know, all these benefits of using it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it, it really caught fire very quickly and, and expanded on its own because the, as you know, the swimming community is very tight knit. It's Mm -hmm. very close. If one coach, if one coach is doing something new, you know, every, every other coach in that area knows about it. Um, and so when we started getting orders for like, 60 50 60 bricks uh from especially big teams like nc state um uh, it it was only a matter of time the nice thing about the going with the through the colleges is that those colleges every summer they have swim camps and kids Mm. from all over the country come and so when kids are showing up at nc state for their their summer camps like they're getting to use the brick and they're going back and they're telling their coaches hey we did this crazy thing with this heavy kickboard uh, that was awful. And the coach goes, huh, awful sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Swimming, gluttons for punishment. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's just kind of kept going from there. Were there any barriers to understanding that you had to climb? Like, were there common reasons to not buy it that people had? Or was it pretty quickly that people understood its purpose and its value? Pretty much the latter. Okay, um, gotcha. Like when I, we, if you look on our um, on our page uh, for the reviews for the brick, it's it's five star. I think there's one or two, maybe four star ones. Um, but it's legitimate. Like people love the brick. Um, when I send it to them, and again, I send those emails out. I'm like, hey, thanks so much for buying the brick. I really appreciate that. What do you think of it? Um, they write back uh, if they if they do write back, and and it's always good. It's like wow, this is such a great workout. You know, thanks for for <laughs> creating that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of times, people have been like, I don't think I'm using it right, and I write them back and I say, okay, have you tried doing X, Y, and Z? And then they write back and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, this is much better. Um, and especially like for people with shoulder problems, mm. uh, a regular board is so hyper buoyant with that foam that it lifts you up, right? And it, it puts upward pressure on those shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and it puts you in an uphill swimming position, which is just bad generally. Um, and so the brick takes that pressure off and allows you to be more downhill. Um, so we've had so many comments from people with shoulder problems going, I haven't kicked, I haven't used the kickboard in years, but I've been able to use the brick. Um, so it's done really well. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. And it's, and I, when I was a coach uh, volunteer at university of Virginia, 
I know that oh, staff. Yeah. yeah, that staff there was very excited about it, and especially um, Todd DeSorbo, the head coach and the spring coach. Yeah. He loved putting his sprinters on the brick and finding mm-hmm. five different ways to make kicking tougher with the brick at the center of it, whether it's yeah. no no breath twenty fives or kicking with socks, kicking with one sock on one foot. I'm I'm making stuff up right. at this point, but right. it's it's a it's um stuff like that, and you know we're. <laughs> this is organically becoming an ad for the brick and I'm happy about that because it's it's such a great tool. But I think why we are really hyping it up is because it's a tent pole and then you can grow the different um, types of training that you can do with it around it and and customize around it. So it being a temple for your company, what was the decision to start to grow the company into more of a brand than a one product company and how did that progress when you first started getting into the space of diversifying? Yeah. So um, actually, before I, I hit that question, um, just going back to like problems with adoption, mm-hmm. um, being, being me and taking on too many things within a year of launching the brick in the US, I decided that this needed to go to Europe as well. And so I launched in Europe. We had a, uh, a warehouse in Europe. It was, uh, it was in, uh, just outside London. And uh, they, so they were doing uh, distribution for us and handling orders, uh, order fulfillment. Um, and I thought, you know, just like in the U.S., this is going to be great. It's, it's, people are going to love it. And it flopped. It flopped. Really? Yeah, in the end, I ended up having to like fire sale the the uh, the brick because it, I took for granted that swimming is a homogenous community. Um, in a lot of ways, it is, but in, in many ways, it's not. And I didn't understand how Europe was different from the U.S. and and plus, you know, I have no representation over there to help me spread. Sure. So, it, it was a it was a bad idea. It was poorly executed, um, and another lesson learned. But uh, we'll be back in Europe someday. It's okay. funny though. We actually get a lot of we get many emails now from Europeans going, "How can we get this here?" Um, and I say, "Well, I'll send it to you, but but the uh, shipping cost is X." And they're like, "Okay, we'll wait." Yeah. Well. Th- I think you've highlighted something bigger than just the brick or the business of uh, swimming or fike swim. If you could put into a, cl- a cliff note or a, a nutshell, what what was different about the European swimming community from, because a lot of us do take that for granted. Like we're in the US, this is just how the swimming community is. A lot of people don't think about how different swimming communities are around the world. So what was different that you noticed that what maybe was the barrier to entry or it was just, oh, that's curious. Like that is something that's different. Yeah. Um, I'm still, honestly, uh, I'm still wrapping my head around that one. Uh, I think the biggest problem was that there was no physical representative of Fike Swim mm. uh, in Europe to to show it off. Gotcha. Um, I think I think generally the U.S. mindset, and and I could be wrong on this, but I, it seems like the U.S. mindset in general, not even just with swimming, but with 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 things in general, is to be very uh, like creative and innovative and and try all kinds of new things. Uh, 
and in Europe, it, it seems like it's a little bit more um, cautious and a little bit more reserved with that sort of thing. Mm. And, and so my sense is that this product came along. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of, of push behind it out there the way there should have been. Um, and people kind of uh, wrote it off as, uh, you know, maybe a gimmick. Mm. And, and there was no one there to really counter those, those uh, question marks. And so it, it failed, but we'll gotcha. Back. Yeah. And in the meantime, the success was getting to a point in America where, like we said, you started to diversify and make more stuff. So what yeah. was that process like for you? Yeah. So when I, I think there are a lot of folks who, a lot of, um, you know, in, in inventors, uh, especially in swimming, who they create something that's, that's uh, interesting, it's different, it's unique, and they're content to like stay with that one thing or sell it off, right? Maybe to Finesse uh, or one of the companies that is into new product invention. Um, uh, or, or they just kind of keep going with that, that one avenue. And when I started the brick, it was it, I knew from day one that I wanted to turn uh, the brick and and fight swim into a company that was bigger and better than Speedo. That has been the goal from day one: is be bigger and better than Speedo. And without really, um, you know, putting my foot in my mouth and getting on my soapbox, like I I think there is a lot of room to do things better in this business. Mm. Um, but it's 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 going to take. Uh, at least a few more weeks before I'm bigger than Speedo. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're getting there. But uh, uh, within a year after launching the brick, I launched the swag, which is the swimmer's bag. Um, mm -hmm. And then within a, uh, a year after, like every year we've been launching something new, uh, it, whether it was apparel and caps or the mortar, which is the sister product to the brick. It's the weighted pool buoy um, or suits. Like it's been one thing, uh, it's been a steady march forward. And I think that's a bit unusual because uh, the tendency is if you've got something that's working, like you, you kind of keep milking it and you keep it growing and, and you don't venture out to like go do other things, right? Mm -hmm. um, because the fear is you might shoot yourself in the foot and hurt the progress of that one thing that's doing mm -hmm. well. Mm. And, you know, I like, I just cut from the beginning, I kind of said, screw it. Like I want, I want to take over. I want this thing to, to really grow. Um, I don't want to be just content with this one little product. Uh, and so it's, yeah, like we've got a big pipeline of stuff that is coming over the next however many years. And what did you learn? Cause you, I mean, you see yourself as a disruptor in the industry in a way that's going to make the other brands better, but just because they have to, were you launching those products to be a disruptor or is it like, okay, it's time to have, I see a need for this type of bag. I see a need for the mortar. Like what were, what was the inspiration behind each of those decisions? And we don't have to go through one by one, but maybe you could select one where there was a choice made, there was a reason you did it, and there was thought that went into the design and the execution of it. The, the brick was, um, to, was purely to help swimmers improve their kick. Okay. Um, and 
initially the thought was it was just gonna it was kind of gonna kind of be like resistance right like almost like a parachute or, or a stretch cord um and just be hard um but once i got the samples and i and i started using it and it really turned out to be so much more than that um it it makes you swim swim not just kick but swim smarter um you swim in a more downhill position you get those hips up yeah and you know, things like the shoulder problems, like so many of these things, they weren't foreseen when I first put a brick on top of a kickboard and thought, oh man, this is just a tough workout. Um, and, and so the brick, it was meant to help swimmers become better kickers. One of my pet peeves, when, when you look at a, at a, at a typical club swimming practice is kicking very quickly becomes like the, the, um, active recovery, the, the social mm. kicking, right? Um, Everyone and, has like a position that they chill on their kickboards and talk to their buddies with their goggles off. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, some of that's good, right? Like you got to take it easy once in a while, but mm -hmm. um, just, just from my own personal experience, not at Texas, cause that there was never any, <laughs> any like downtime at Texas, mm -hmm. um, but like, and club teams, kids they 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 were taking the easy way out with their kickboards when they could and not really working it the way they needed to um and and so uh, the brick was in large part designed to address that and to help kids have a better kick um because if you don't have a good kick it's really hard to be a good swimmer and so one of the hashtags we use a lot in our social media and like if you go to our stickers page on pike swim like you'll see death to social kicking. Mm -hmm. um, like that's, that's kind of a, a mantra that has carried through. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I would say if, if I may, and you can correct me if that's, if I'm wrong with this, the, the extrapolation out of that and into all of your products is just doing things more intentionally right? Like it's in a more intentional bag. It's a more intentional pull buoy. Like I, I was the yeah. same way. I was the same way with pulling like, oh, this freestyle set's too hard. Hey, Eddie, can I throw a buoy in and do the rest of it pull? And it's like, well, and then with you with the mortar, and maybe you can tell me if this <laughs> is true. It's actually, let's get something out of pulling instead of just having it be, and I would be made fun of as like a, a safety blanket or a pacifier. <laughs> I would guys right. would make fun of me about that. Right. Yeah. The, the, really the premise of flag swim is to think to train to swim differently mm -hmm. um because what i have learned in, in in all of my years now of swimming um is and and this is one of eddie's big things right he i think every year he he lectures the guys on if you do the same thing you did last year you will have the same results this year you have to do things differently mm -hmm. um and, and so when you look at the swimming community, it's okay. The swimming community is, is wonderful, but it is oftentimes locked in um, like conventional and traditional ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. And so how do you get people to break that mold? Because it, it's scary. Like I will be the first to admit as a swimmer, it is scary to completely change how you think, how you train, how you swim and try something that is totally untested. Uh, that you've never done before, hoping it's going to pay off. And, but that's the idea behind Fike Swim is like get people thinking outside the box and, and doing things differently because that's how you get better. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I love that because you're you're basically taking an eddyism and <laughs> and applying it to business. Like I've I've mentioned this a couple of times on my podcast for people listening, but just to say to you, like I took an eddyism and worked it into my wedding vows. Like I, you know, <laughs> like it what we learn from something as impactful as college swimming, it radiates throughout everything we do in our lives. And um getting stuck in that, like you said, and I agree, like the swimming, the suits and the bags and the equipment, it's all been the same since I started swimming. Yeah. Um, to kind of take us towards the finish line here, um, I want to talk about another part that you've disrupted, and that's something about yourself. So you've talked about your training that you do now and that you see yourself as a pro in a way that you are in the swimming industry and your swimming is an extension of that. And whether you call it a hobby or you, I think you told me before we started recording that you see yourself as, as a certain type of pro uh, with your swimming training. Um, how did you get started on disrupting, I guess, yourself and how you approached swimming compared to your uh, own? That's, that's a good question. Um, it, it's, uh, it's kind of an emotional one for me because I got to a point where I was like, put up or shut up. You know, um, I was on the one hand, I, I was sick of not improving. I had gotten to a point where I wasn't getting faster. It was, I was putting in tons of work and getting the exact same results. Um, and I would get upset with myself. Like I, I would, I would go to a meet and it would be the same crappy time. And I'd be like, you know, F this, what the, is this good for? Um, like, what do I have to do? And, you know, <clears throat> it got to the point where I was just like, okay, look, if you're not willing to change how you're doing things, then just shut up and, and accept it and be happy with it and enjoy the ride. Like you get mm -hmm. to, you get to keep training. Like, that's great. Some people don't get to and, right. and, and, and roll with it. But if, if this matters to you and you're sick of the results being what they are every time, then freaking change it. Like completely change how you do things and, and see if that works. And if it doesn't, well, shit, you're no worse off than you were before. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how, and so you bet on yourself with bike swim how did you put up or shut up with your training? Um, and we, we, I think we talked about your time in the pool and your time in the weight room a little bit. Are there other aspects that you decided to, to take Eddie's words, do something different or else you're not going to get better? What, what else did you overhaul for yourself? Um, I mean, see, looking back, it seems like I overhauled everything. Sure. Um, uh, the rest, the food, the weight training, the swim training, like everything underwent a complete evaluation and just looking at, okay, well, what have I been doing and what could I do differently that makes sense to do? Like, don't just do something different for the hell of it, but like what makes sense that I've been doing and I can do differently um, and, and do that. And so like with, with food, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little hurt that, um, apparently Chris Kubik and Eddie never relayed my glories of, of, uh, eating 
to younger generations. Oh, really? What was it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So aside from being the best six square player, I was, I was definitely the biggest eater. Uh, And there's no, there's no contention about that one. Um, But I would eat a ton uh, like on, you know, so Saturday morning practice, you go to Freebirds afterwards as a team for two sure. lunch. Um, and I would have the super monster, which is, you know, the like two monsters put together. Yeah. It's like um, 2.5 X of a Chipotle burrito now. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. And then like one of their large quesadillas. And then I would go right next door to marble slab and get the banana split. Marble slab. Um, <laughs> yeah. And oh I mean, my gosh. I mean, I did crazy stuff that like in the dining hall, you know, I was challenged one time because uh, I don't know if they had it when you were there, but one of the best nights, in my opinion, was beanie weenie night. It was chicken parmesan and beanie weenies. Beanie weenies, of course, are, are baked beans and hot dog. Delicious. Is, sounds gross now. <laughs> but um, I had a tray of three chicken parmesans, a bowl of beanie weenies and uh, something else. I don't know. And I said, oh, this is so good. I love this night, guys. I could eat five trays of this. Yeah. And so the next time I remember Kyle Sanders walked up to me when I was in line at dining hall to get my stuff. And he's like, so are you going to do it? I'm like, do what? You're going to eat five trays. Like you said, I was like, Oh, okay. And so I made it through, um, five bowls. I did a five bowls of beanies. I had seven chicken Parmesan's. Um, and I only stopped because I got tired of the taste. I moved on to chocolate cake after, um, <laughs> just to switch it up. Yeah. Um, so any, so anyway, like going back, um, these days I'm really careful with my diet. There's, there's no more beanie weenies. Um, I eat, I eat whole foods, uh, mostly organic stuff. If I can get it, I've cut out almost pretty much all alcohol, uh, pretty much just water, sometimes Powerade if I think I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, occasional sips of wine, uh, you know, food wise, like I rarely have desserts anymore. Um, so I, I've, I've really pulled away from the refined sugar uh, stuff. Um, and, and with rest, like I'm, I'm adamant about getting my rest and enough sleep and uh, naps are my favorite. Um, stretching, foam rolling, things like I never did in college, never worried about. Mm-hmm. Like I am militant about now. So, uh, what was the hardest thing to cut out? And I'll frame it from my own experience. So, I am also someone who kind of had to flip things around. Um, I loved eating the classic swimmer diet growing up. Of you know, spaghetti and meatballs was awesome. Uh, Mom made a great baked ziti dish. When I would go to the same dining hall as you, it was for us, it was one meal a day. And now they actually get it 24 seven, which I'm super jealous of. But (laughs) if I was there in time for breakfast, huge breakfast, multiple trays, if I was there for lunch, you know, give me a sandwich, give me the chicken fingers, give me the pasta, because it's the whole thing that people ask you, oh, you're going to eat like Michael Phelps, you're going to eat 10,000 calories a day. (laughs) And I actually stopped swimming for a year when I was 25 uh, cause I, I retired from swimming. I put that in air quotes and <laughs> cause you know what? No one ever really does. And, um, I went back home to live with my parents and I started eating the way I did in high school and I blew up, I blew up 25, <laughs> 30 pounds from my, uh, from my fighting weight as a swimmer. So from that moment in 2017 that I decided to flip it around and this is leading up to the question, cut out pasta, started eating very similar to what you're talking about. Although 
I got to get a little bit more capital before I invest completely in the organic foods. But similarly, whole foods, you know, meats and vegetables, um, no soda. But my vice in not in the way that it's like, I should, I should frame that differently. Um, it was easy for me to cut out sugar. And that's usually something that's tough for people. But I like to keep my social drinks. I like to have a beer with my friends every once in a while because I am a 20, I'm a grown man. I'm a 29 year old man. And a lot of occasions with friends is we get together and we have a few drinks. So that was the trade-off I, I made was desserts gone and beer is my dessert. So do you have, do you have any, um, and I, and not in a nightly kind of way, again, it's more when I'm together with friends, but right. do you have anything like that? That was tough for you to adapt to? Like, did you have a sweet tooth? Did you have to make deals with yourself? Do you have cheat days? Like maybe take me through that side where it's, you know, if someone wants to do it, like you're doing it, how did they navigate it and get to that place? Like you did. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I'm sorry for moving around just now, but I was running out of power. Um, no worries. Yeah. You know, drinking was easy for me to drop. Like I would have beers sometimes now and then, but be perfectly honest. Like I, I have never really loved the taste of alcohol. Like, okay. It, it's, it was super easy for me to get rid of. Um, uh, and then I do have a sweet tooth. Like I love cookies. I love cake. I could eat like a giant, you know, grocery store cookie cake in a matter of <laughs> days. Sure. Um, and, but the thing is, you know, my metabolism is still crazy. Um, you know, you said you added weight, like I could keep eating uh, in, today the way I did in college and I would still be the same weight. Mm. I just don't gain. Uh, and everybody, like, it was funny, Chris Kubik and all the guys on the team would be like, oh man, when you finish swimming, you're going to blow up bike. Um, and I never did. It, it's, it's wild. Um, I just have this furnace inside of me that burns it all up. Um, so it was never about that. It was never like, oh shoot, I'm putting on some pudge. I got to rethink things. Mm -hmm. It was just simply an awareness that like, as you get older, you have less room for error. You mm -hmm. have to be more perfect more disciplined. If your goal is to, you know, like I've got the U S open next week. If your goal is to go to the U S open and do well, like then you've got to make sacrifices. And so the first 60 days of cutting out sweets, not completely, but it, it was a nightly thing for me. Like every okay. night. Something. Yeah, sure. You have dessert after dinner, right? Yeah. Um, first 60 days was rough. Then if you can make it through 60 days, the cravings go way, way down. Mm -hmm. If you can make it to 90 days, it, you don't, like some of the stuff that I used to love, like I could not pass it up. I look at it now and I'm like, ugh, like I have no interest. Like that's going to hurt your stomach if you just pound that real quick. Kind of. Yeah. That's um, how, I mean, that's how I feel. If I see like a slice of cake that's too big, it's like, oh, like that's going to hurt later. I don't really want that. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's just, it's about prioritizing, right? Like one of the things that people always say to me when I tell them what I do is like, how do you have time to do that? You know, do all those things and, and still train the, that much. And like, look, if, if it matters to you, you find a way, like you prioritize, you know, people talk about how oh, they, they can't get up at, at 5am to go work out. That, that, that's just the they have no interest in doing that anymore. And that's, you know, that's exactly it. Like they don't, 
if you if you really want to get something done, you will find a way and and make it happen. I hate getting up at five a.m. to go swim, hmm. but I have goals, and and I'm gonna do whatever the hell I have to do to hit those goals. And if it means getting up at five a.m., I'll get up at freaking five a.m. and I'll go do it. Hmm. So, well, I think I think that's a a perfect excla- exclamation point to leave things. Um, I will be at my own U.S. Open next week. I will be in Richmond. Oh, yeah. yeah, which uh, which oh. side are you going to? San Antonio. That's a close one. Awesome. Well, we both have a stiff drive in front of us. And I don't know about you, but I looked at the psych sheet and there was no one within seven years of my age <laughs> uh, in my events. So wow. here's, yeah. here's, here's to being the old guys at the U.S. Open while <laughs> all of the, the major standard bearers of pro swimming are over in the ISL right now. But um. But- James, if people want to find out more about you or Fike Swim, what are the different places they can go to both on social and on the web? Uh, so social is easy. Uh, Fike Swim um, for any of it. Uh, internet is easy. Fikeswim.com. And then uh, I always love getting emails from, from folks, even if they haven't bought anything yet, um, just making inquiries. And they can always hit me up at uh, fikeswimproducts at gmail.com. Uh, I respond to everything mm-hmm. uh, and I love getting them. So, yeah. So that's Fike swim products at gmail.com. Uh, hit up James, tell him how much you enjoyed listening to him on this podcast today too. <laughs> Maybe we'll do another one sometime. Definitely. All right. Thanks so much for your time, man. Good luck yeah, at the meet next week. Yeah. Good luck at the meet <laughs> next week. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. See ya. All right, that's the show. Thank you for stopping by Pro Corner. If you want to learn more about us, uh, keep up with what we're doing on social, head to at Pro Corner on Instagram uh, or at Pro Corner on Facebook and like each page. Um, if you want to follow me, I'm at Austin Suroff on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, I love listener feedback. I love hearing what you all want to hear, uh, how the show can be better, maybe even a guest that you want me to have on anything you want, anything you want. I'm available uh, at Austin at ProCornerPodcast.com. So drop an email today. Thanks for stopping by Pro Corner and have a great rest of your week. Talk next week.